0: J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most
1: convincing story that maps onto reality, It's Friday, February 17th, 2023, the 758th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide range of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So let's talk today a bit about election fraud. And let's begin with this little clip from Tucker Carlson last night. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. We haven't taken a poll, but it's possible on this Thursday evening, you may be wondering what the hell is going on in our country. There are so many unanswered questions, some of them lingering. How, for example, did senile hermit Joe Biden get 15 million more votes than his former boss, rockstar crowd surfer Barack Obama? Results like that would seem to defy the laws of known physics and qualify instead as a miracle. Was the 2020 election a miracle? Honestly, we don't know. and We don't expect to get an answer to it tonight. So let's move instead to more immediate questions like all these weird things shooting through the sky over the United States and Canada that nobody seems able to positively identify. Should we be worried about these things? Now, that is quite a way to kick off the show. Joe Biden received an impossible number of votes, millions and millions more votes than the crowd surfing rock star Barack Obama. How did it happen? Well, no one really knows and no one can ever tell you. And the truth is, from our side, we should be taking more advantage of that fact. We continue to allow ourselves to be forced into making the argument that we can prove election fraud beyond a shadow of a doubt. And you choose one path toward that outcome and end up arguing that single path endlessly with a bunch of people who never checked and never cared because they wanted the election results that they were told they got. It is extremely rare to run into anyone who actually knows about any of the aspects of election fraud and can discuss those and the particulars of those situations. Now, they believe that they are right indisputably. There is no doubt whatsoever that somehow Joe Biden got $81 million real, legal, American votes, and that's all there is to it. And so if you bring up something in Arizona or Georgia or Pennsylvania or Wisconsin or anywhere else, if you bring up election fraud from the 2021 runoffs in Georgia, if you bring it up from the primaries, if you bring it up from the 2022 midterms or the runoffs once again in Georgia, people will focus on whatever specific claim you're making. They will find all the debunkings online, and they will say you have absolutely no proof. And they will say that about every single path you could possibly walk down when trying to prove election fraud. And I talked about this a little bit on Badland Story Hour with Burning Bright on Tuesday night. There are all these different paths, all these different problems with our elections And the truth is we can call the results of those elections into doubt in a thousand different ways. The courts have sided with us in some cases and not sided with us in other cases, often dismissing cases over procedural matters like standing or latches. And then the case is pushed out of court and it's a matter of whether or not someone's going to appeal and continue those cases. There are still cases ongoing from 2020, but none of these people will ever pay attention to any of that, and none of them will ever pay attention to any of the instances where the courts have decided in our favor. You can look at Wisconsin, where they ruled that the ballot drop boxes were illegal. That means that none of the votes that came through the ballot drop boxes should have been counted. It means that the elections where those processes were used are unconstitutional and uncertifiable, but they were certified anyway. In Pennsylvania, it was ruled that election laws were changed outside of the proper body to change election laws, which is, of course, the legislature. But that decision is being appealed. And so in their minds, it doesn't count. In their minds, none of the avenues toward proving election fraud actually count because they address each one of them individually. And they claim that all of these instances are in doubt. They side, they believe the default is to side with the claim that the elections were legitimate and that Joe Biden legitimately won. And so a thousand times on these decisions about whether or not all of these problems call the legitimacy of the election into doubt, they decide, no, you haven't proven the case beyond a shadow of a doubt to my satisfaction. And that's what they really mean. It's to their satisfaction. And the truth is no amount of evidence, no amount of proof, no amount of logic and reasoning, deductive reasoning will ever convince them that they might be wrong on one of those issues, because if they're wrong on one of those issues, well, then they might be wrong on all of them. But knowing this, we still find ourselves getting stuck in these arguments and unable to convince the other side. That is a problem for the other side. It's not a problem for us. The evidence is there. It is obvious. It's overwhelming. There's no way possible that the election results we see could be achieved through normal means. That's why they changed the laws. That's why they instituted universal mail in ballots and allow for ballot harvesting, etc. The point here is what should be happening is to reverse that argument. We are not the one making the positive claim they are. They are saying that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes and they have absolutely no way to prove their case. And not only do they have no way to prove their case, they have evidence from the real world that the Democrat side has set up an army of attorneys to make sure that no one can ever check. That is an incredibly weak position for these people to take, but they believe it's the strong position because the media and the culture support it, and they believe that they see Joe Biden as a very real president who's doing very real president things, and that means that Joe Biden is therefore the president, and it's beyond dispute. The election challenges didn't work. Nothing's ever going to happen, and they are going to stick to their claim that the elections were just fine, and we should not be ceding that ground. What we should be asking is, can you prove to me that Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes? And if you can't, you should probably stop saying it. If you can't, you should probably stop saying that there's no manipulation and that nothing else could have happened. They cannot prove a clean election. They cannot prove the number of votes. No one can prove the number of votes because there's no way to produce a legitimate record of those votes and prove that all of those votes are real legal American votes. That's not something they can do, and that should be the focus. Tucker Carlson is calling that particular question into doubt. How did something impossible happen? Was it a miracle? Well, no, it wasn't a miracle. It just simply didn't happen. And more of America is understanding that every day. He also cleverly pivoted right to the issues that distract the American public from that conversation. Now, I posted that little segment on Twitter last night, and it's been shared pretty widely. It's gotten out there. It's received a lot of responses. And some of the responses from child-brained communists have been this story that came out conveniently last night, the same night that Tucker just made that statement on his show that is the biggest cable news show in America. This is from Rolling Stone. We're having fun with Rolling Stone this week. Tucker Carlson calls Trump demonic force in new legal filing. Fox News hosts and producers privately shared misgivings about former President Donald Trump's false claims of fraud in the 2020 election, despite their networks promoting his claims. Dominion Voting Systems alleged in a new court filing, the New York Times reports. So Dominion Voting Systems is the one making these claims. The newly disclosed messages are part of a one point six billion dollar defamation lawsuit against the media giant. Dominion, an election technology company, is seeking damages from Fox News for airing conspiracy theories about voting machine fraud. Hosts Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram, as well as others, disparaged Trump's henchmen, including Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, in messages, casting doubt on claims that Dominion's machines had rigged the presidential election in Joe Biden's favor, according to the legal filing made public on Thursday. Dominion alleges that the network's hosts gave Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani a platform to lie about the voting process. From the top down, Fox knew the Dominion stuff was total BS, the filing states, which cited excerpts from evidence collected in the suit. The nearly 200 page court filing includes text messages, internal emails and depositions Dominion gathered via discovery from Fox News over the past few months. Fox was the first cable network to project Biden's win in Arizona, triggering a slew of angry messages from Trump's camp and a drop in ratings as viewers defected to conservative alternatives Newsmax and OAN. Carlson texted his producer, Alex Pfeiffer, two days after the Election Day 2020 warning that the network's decision to call the state of Arizona for Joe Biden on election night would have severe repercussions for Fox News. We worked really hard to build what we have, Carlson messaged Pfeiffer on November 5th, 2020, according to the filing. Those fuckers are destroying our credibility. It enrages me. Pfeiffer responded that, quote, many on our side are being reckless demagogues right now. Of course they are, Carlson wrote. We're not going to follow them. He added that Trump was good at destroying things. He's the undisputed world champion of that. He could easily destroy us if we play it wrong. On November 3rd, per the document, Carlson texted Pfeiffer that Trump needed to concede, quote, that there wasn't enough fraud to change the outcome of the election and later texted that Powell, one of Trump's lawyers, was, quote, lying about having evidence for election fraud. In another text exchange a few days later, as stated in the filing, Carlson repeated his concerns to Ingram, writing that, quote, Sidney Powell is lying, by the way. I caught her. It's insane. Ingram replied, Sydney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy. Carlson responded, It's unbelievably offensive to me. Our viewers are good people and they believe it. The filing also alleges that Powell told Fox employees and host Maria Bartiromo that she relied on sources that made her unreliable. The suit states that before Powell's November 8th, 2020 appearance on Bartiromo's Sunday Morning Futures show, the evidence Powell provided to back her false accusations that Dominion manipulated the election was from an individual who described herself as, quote, internally decapitated. Don't know what that means. And, quote, capable of time travel in a semi-conscious state. So, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, what Sidney Powell is crazy. That's weird. Sidney Powell doesn't seem crazy. Following a November 19th broadcast of a press conference where Giuliani and Powell echoed their false claims that the election was rigged, Carlson went on his show to say that Powell had described the single greatest crime in American history. Yet Carlson also admitted that, quote, she never sent us any evidence despite a lot of requests, end quote, and closed his show by expressing his hope that, quote, Sidney Powell will come forward soon with details on exactly how this happened and precisely who did it. The broadcast received backlash from viewers, the filing states. On January 6th, 2021, Carlson messaged Pfeiffer and called Trump, quote, a demonic force, a destroyer, adding, but he's not going to destroy us. Despite this, just three weeks later, the host invited his leading sponsor, Mike Lindell, on his show. Lindell proceeded to repeat Powell's conspiracies on air, even previewing them for Carlson's staff. Fox, in a statement to ABC News, wrote, There will be a lot of noise and confusion generated by Dominion and their opportunistic private equity owners. But the core of this case remains about freedom of the press and freedom of speech, which are fundamental rights afforded by the Constitution and protected by New York Times v. Sullivan. In its motion for summary judgment filed Thursday per ABC, Fox claimed that statements dominion challenges are not actionable defamation because Fox News's coverage and commentary are not only not defamatory, but also protected by the First Amendment and New York doctrines emanating from it. By November 12th, the consequences of the accusations of the voter fraud narrative sunk in. In a message that day to Carlson and Ingram, per the filing, Hannity wrote, quote, in one week and one debate. They destroyed a brand that took 25 years to build, and the damage is incalculable. So what to make of all this? Well, Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani will very likely go down as American heroes. Rudy Giuliani brought the Hunter Biden laptop to America and was called a conspiracy theorist and a traitor and a million other things. Rudy Giuliani was also the guy investigating Joe Biden's political corruption and criminality in Ukraine and was raked over the coals for that as well. Sidney Powell has been called a conspiracy theorist countless times, including throughout her defense of General Michael Flynn. Sidney Powell has been going after the deep state for years. They both seem to be American patriots of the highest order, and maybe we'll find out that's wrong. So then what does that mean for Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity? Well, we have excerpts of statements relayed to us through a legal filing from Dominion voting systems who are tasked with trying to prove defamation against these Fox News hosts for bringing on guests and discussing issues that relate to the insecurities and vulnerabilities of Dominion voting systems questionable elections in other countries, questionable ownership of Dominion. And all of this was after many prominent Democrats accused Dominion systems and other electronic voting systems manufacturers of having machines that were not capable of yielding legitimate elections. Kamala Harris, Hillary Clinton, the list goes on and on. We have expert reporting on these voting systems that show them to be vulnerable to hacking and manipulation. We have it in the court record that these machines are capable of switching votes and that they can be programmed to do that through the insertion of USB sticks. So the underlying claim that Dominion Voting Systems is capable of and indeed has manipulated the outcome of elections, well, that's just true. Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, you can leave them wild cards for now. What about the Fox News hosts? Well, that's hard to say. Again, we don't know the full statements or their context. And I have a feeling that if we did, we might not draw the same impression that Dominion Voting Systems has in this legal filing. But regardless, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity thinking that Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani are crazy. In the claims they made when they did not bring him the evidence is not in any way proof that the elections were secure and that Joe Biden actually got 81 million real legal American votes. Their opinions on Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Dominion voting systems and election fraud don't actually matter at all. When determining the truth of the underlying claims, there is nothing about Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram or Sean Hannity's opinions that change whether or not Joe Biden actually got 81 million real legal American votes. Their statements may well be relevant in the legal proceedings about defamation for Fox News. I kind of doubt it, but they don't say anything about election fraud and posting that story does not refute election fraud. It also doesn't refute what Tucker Carlson just said on his show last night, although the timing is very interesting. Now, is Tucker playing us for fools by bringing this stuff up and never really hammering the case home? I suppose that's possible. I see that as an outside chance, but it's possible. It's also possible that Tucker is walking a fine line relative to this lawsuit and to Fox News. And that's not a line I respect, by the way. I think that Tucker Carlson and everyone else should have been out there blasting election fraud news and analysis every night for the last two and a half years. But they haven't done that. And it's at least possible that the reason they're not doing that is because there is a much larger narrative play going on here. And I'm fairly convinced that's true. But it remains to be seen. Regardless, there is still no real world support for the idea that Joe Biden received 81 million real legal American votes. And if you want to take the advantage in arguments with people about election fraud, make them prove that case, because if they can't prove that case, if they just believe that Joe Biden received 15 million more votes than we were told Hillary Clinton received in 2016, they should be able to justify or explain that in some way. But the truth is, no one is allowed to check, so they can never justify or explain that in any way. It wasn't mail-in balloting that allowed so many more people to participate in the election. That is a preposterous answer, and it's antifactual. There are states that have all mail-in elections, like Washington. It doesn't increase the total voter turnout by 20% ever, especially not in a pandemic year and especially not with a candidate who campaigned from the basement. And oh, I know they came out to vote for Joe Biden because they just hated Donald Trump so much. Except if that's true, how did Donald Trump get 12 million more votes than he got in 2016? How did the total turnout for the 2020 election increase by a full 20 percent? Who were those 27 million new voters who just didn't bother to vote when it was Trump and Hillary? Those people don't exist. So let's turn to Georgia. This happened yesterday as well. We're going to get the commie version and then we can talk about the flip side. This is from Huffington Post. Georgia grand jury finds no evidence of widespread fraud in 2020 election. A Georgia grand jury found no evidence of widespread fraud in the 2020 election there, undercutting the rationale for former President Donald Trump's attempts to overturn his loss in that state, according to excerpts released by a judge Thursday. The excerpts released do not spell out what charges the 23-member panel Recommended to be filed against which individuals, although they do believe that some of the 75 witnesses who appeared before them lied under oath. A majority of the grand jury believes that perjury may have been committed by one or more witnesses testifying before it, jurors wrote. The grand jury recommends that the district attorney seek appropriate indictments for such crimes where the evidence is compelling. The panel, which probed Trump's actions to coerce Georgia officials into falsely declaring him the winner of the state, finished its report for Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis prior to its dissolution last month. In the portions made public, the grand jury explained that it had heard testimony from witnesses and reviewed documents and other evidence over a seven-month period starting last May. It acknowledged the panel did not include any election law experts or criminal lawyers and advised Willis to pursue criminal charges they may have overlooked. They also refuted Trump and his allies' claims that he had actually won the state. The grand jury heard extensive testimony on the subject of alleged election fraud from poll workers, investigators, technical experts, and state of Georgia employees and officials, as well as from persons still claiming that such fraud took place, they wrote. We find by a unanimous vote that no widespread fraud took place in the Georgia 2020 presidential election that could result in overturning that election. But that, of course, was not what the jury was designed to figure out, nor does that claim mean anything at all. As a quote unquote special grand jury, it lacked the authority to indict. But it did make recommendations for Willis about what charges to bring against which people through a regular grand jury, which meets for two month sessions throughout the year. Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney, who oversaw the special jury, ruled Monday that because of the great public interest in that panel's work, he would order that the report's introduction and conclusion be made public, along with the brief section detailing jurors belief that some witnesses may have committed perjury during their testimony. He honored Willis's request, though, that the names of specific individuals and details uncovered over the course of the investigation not be publicly revealed at this stage. Willis in court said that charging decisions were imminent. Trump campaign staff did not respond to HuffPost's queries for this story. The coup attempting former president (laughs) who is running for the Republican nomination in 2024 has repeatedly called the various probes into his post-election behavior a witch hunt and has called Willis, who is black, a racist for investigating him. He also urged his followers to stage massive protests in Atlanta, the seat of Fulton County and other cities should he be charged. In Georgia, prosecutors in Willis's office have focused on Trump's attempts to reverse his 2020 loss to Democrat Joe Biden there and award him the state's 16 electoral votes as part of his broader fake elector scheme to pressure his own vice president into awarding Trump a second term. And they got to get the entire central narrative in there. Trump has no claim about any of it. It's all fake. He knows it's fake. And he was trying to overthrow our democracy. Trump on January 2nd, 2021, called Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and demanded that he come up with 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have to undo Trump's loss and threatened Raffensperger with the possibility of criminal prosecution if he did not do so. The call was taped by Raffensperger's office and released to The Washington Post, which sparked the criminal investigation. Now, again, if you listen to that call In its entirety, it is very clear that Donald Trump has overwhelming evidence that Georgia's elections had problems and the Georgia secretary of state's office would not supply the information to refute Donald Trump's claims. Trump said there are all these different ways that we can prove enough illegal votes to overturn the result of this election. So go ahead and choose one, Brad. Choose one of these different ways and let's get this done. Anyone who listens to that call in full will know that beyond question. But of course, the media knows that nobody generally has listened to it. And of course, they don't feel the need to because it's already been reported to them. So they can just keep repeating this claim over and over and over, as has been done for two years and almost two months now despite it not being remotely true. Four days later, Trump incited a mob of thousands of his followers whom he'd asked to come to Washington, D.C. on the date of Congress's election certification ceremony in a last-ditch ploy to pressure Mike Pence. The attempt failed with Congress certifying Biden's win. Trump's actions, though, caused the deaths, Of four Trump supporters and five police officers with another 140 officers suffering injuries defending the Capitol building from his mob. Now, once again, Trump's actions did not cause the deaths of any police officers. They're talking about four suicides and Brian Sicknick's death that came a day after the very violent insurrection. And as medical examiners ruled, had nothing to do with the insurrection. Trump is also under investigation by the Department of Justice for his fake elector scheme, as well as for his unrelated refusal to turn over top secret documents he took with him to his Palm Beach, Florida social club, despite a subpoena requiring him to do so. So this is the Huffington Post. Virtually none of their factual claims are true. And so naturally they draw all the wrong meaning out of whatever story they're telling. It's impossible to come to proper and logical conclusions when all the premises you're basing the conclusion on happen to be false. So let's get the other side of the story. This is from PJ Media yesterday. Fulton County's Trump grand jury probe was a waste of time and money. On Thursday, a judge in Fulton County, Georgia, released portions of a grand jury's report on its investigation into Donald Trump's alleged attempts to interfere with the results of the 2020 presidential election in Georgia. The grand jury was impaneled to investigate a specific issue, the facts and circumstances relating directly or indirectly to possible attempts to disrupt the lawful administration of the 2020 presidential elections in the state of Georgia, reads the report. District Attorney Fannie Willis convened the grand jury, which met for eight months and interviewed 75 witnesses, including Governor Brian Kemp, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Senator Lindsey Graham and Trump advisor Rudy Giuliani. The grand jury didn't even bother to call Donald Trump himself as a witness. It's unclear whether Willis thought she had the goods on Trump and could bring him down or whether she called for the grand jury to bring attention to herself and even position herself for higher office. It all smacks of the narrative of, quote, the walls are closing in on Trump that we've heard for years. The trouble is that the grand jury's findings were a bit of a nothing burger. The grand jury had a tall order on its hands, and Willis tasked it with looking for evidence to charge a litany of crimes, including criminal solicitation to commit election fraud, making false statements to state and local governmental bodies, conspiracy, racketeering, violation of oath of office, and involvement in violence or threats related to election administration. Instead of the walls closing in on Trump, his administration, or even Georgia Republicans, what the grand jury brought us was something like... We think there might have been some perjury, not exactly a barn burning investigation. Even the adamantly never Trump cock Eric Erickson wrote the special grand jury in Georgia is pretty much a dud. And he goes over what they were looking for and then says what they come away with is recommending possibly four indictments for perjury. That's it. And Trump didn't participate with the grand jury, so he can't be one of the four people. A grand jury and its alternates met for eight months, called dozens of witnesses, and exhausted taxpayer resources at the behest of a grandstanding district attorney. There's no telling how much this investigation cost the taxpayers of Fulton County, but it's painfully obvious that it was a waste of money. Granted, the Fulton County Trump investigation wasn't the immense dog and pony show that the January 6th committee was, even though it had largely the same goal of bringing down or besmirching Donald Trump. The potential for perjury indictments also means that the Fulton County investigation may have more to show for it than the January 6th committee and more to offer than just putting Fannie Willis's name in the headlines. None of that means that Fulton County taxpayers' money was well spent, and it doesn't relieve Willis of the responsibility to account to the citizens of Georgia's most populous county how she spent their money. She really should explain herself. And isn't it amazing that the propaganda media chooses to focus on the fact that the members of the grand jury voted unanimously that there was not enough widespread fraud to overturn the results of the election. But that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything more about whether or not election fraud happened in Georgia than Tucker and Laura and Sean Hannity's statements on Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani. It is a totally separate issue. It doesn't even make sense that the grand jury would vote on that which should tell you that they probably only did that for the headline. And that's why that's the only headline that's going out there. Some people might have committed perjury. Okay, well, who are those people? Are those the people on the side that stole the election? Are they the ones who may have committed perjury? Maybe we'll find out. But it's likely that Donald Trump knows more about this than the writers of The Huffington Post. And so he discussed this on Truth Social yesterday. In addition to posting this very article from PJ Media, his statement reads as follows. The long awaited important sections of the Georgia report, which do not even mention President Trump's name, have nothing to do with the president because President Trump did absolutely nothing wrong. The president participated in two perfect phone calls regarding election integrity in Georgia, which he is entitled to do. In fact, as president, it was President Trump's constitutional duty to ensure election safety, security and integrity. Between the two calls, there were many officials and attorneys on the line, including the secretary of state in Georgia, and no one objected, even slightly protested or hung up. President Trump will always keep fighting for true and honest elections in America. He also went on to say Thank you to the special grand jury in the great state of Georgia for your patriotism and courage. Total exoneration. The USA is very proud of you. And because of this statement, there were also a series of articles about how Twitter users were mocking President Trump for saying he was exonerated by this special grand jury. That was their headline. And again, in the mind of the child brained party of false decorum normie, where Donald Trump is a stupid buffoon and an egomaniac who's always doing things wrong, this statement to them does nothing more than confirm that idea. But in the real world, where Donald Trump actually does know what's going on and has better access to information on all levels than the media could ever hope to obtain, and certainly more than the child-brained communists on Twitter, it's pretty clear that this special grand jury in Georgia did not achieve the results they were hoping for. And let's stick with Georgia for a moment. This is from Captain Seth Keschel's Substack on Wednesday. Fulton County is gradually losing its grip on election corruption. In a few short years, Georgia has gone from being a reliably Republican political afterthought to one of the cornerstones of the American political scene. The likely 2024 Republican nominee Donald Trump has 235 electoral votes on the board if he holds the exact same hand that was certified in 2020 with all its fraud and 236 if Nebraska makes its electoral votes winner take all. That means Trump would meet or surpass 270 electoral votes by taking Georgia and Pennsylvania or Georgia with Arizona and Wisconsin. In short, Georgia is critical for restoring functionality, confidence, and transparency in our national system of elections. Georgia's 2020 presidential election was decided by the slimmest of margins, behind only Arizona's margin of 10,457 votes between Trump and Biden. Its largest county, Fulton, integrated a pipe burst into its corruption arsenal and the fourth largest DeKalb found and counted votes for days after even the New York Times had Georgia going to Trump with certainty on election night. Had that happened in reverse, in favor of Trump, the political commentariat would have been apoplectic. Fulton County, home to most of metro Atlanta, is a typical Democrat-run mega-county mired in crime and corruption and oppressive to the professional class that inhabits its far-flung suburban towns and cities. Recently, the city of Milton's city council voted unanimously to run its own municipal elections in 2023, citing substantial cost savings. And he cites their statement. Up till now, Fulton County conducted the city's municipal elections. If the city were to renew its agreement with Fulton County for 2023, the Milton Municipal Election Feasibility Committee projected the cost to range from more than $186,000 to almost $190,000, excluding the cost of a potential runoff election. It turns out that estimate was based on a previous discussion with Fulton County, which reported the cost per voter was expected to rise from two dollars and ninety six cents to more than six dollars. So if the city allowed the county to continue running its elections, it would cost the residents of that city double what it did before. The cities of Johns Creek and Roswell capitalized on Milton's move and are also making the break from Fulton County. Georgia sources report that Alpharetta and Mountain Park are also branching away from the county and its burdensome costs to administer its Fulton's brand of third world elections in their respective politically moderate cities. This separation is the first step toward providing the transparency that is needed to bring about confidence in elections once again. You may be reading this and thinking, well, these changes are only for municipal elections. But now that these cities are taking ownership of their own election administration, the window of opportunity for repairing public trust has opened widely. This opportunity of seizing back control in Fulton County extends to the long sought banishment of voting machines, allowable by an obscure law. And he cites the law, its Georgia Code, Section 21-2-334, and the citation. If a method of nomination or election for any candidate or office or of voting on any question is prescribed by law in which the use of voting machines is not possible or practicable, or in any case at any primary or election, the number of candidates seeking nomination or nominated for any office renders the use of voting machines for such office at such primary or election impracticable, or if for any other reason, at any primary or election, the use of voting machines wholly or in part is not practicable. The superintendent may arrange to have the voting for such candidates or offices or for such questions conducted by paper ballots. In such cases, paper ballots shall be printed for such candidates, offices or questions, and the primary or election shall be conducted by the poll officers and the ballot shall be counted and return thereof made in the manner required by law for such nominations, offices, or questions insofar as paper ballots are used. So the point here is that Georgia law already allows for the cities to use paper ballots if the determination is made that machine voting is not practicable. If the municipalities continue this path, it is indeed earth-shaking news banning electronic elections equipment is the second of the 10 points to true election integrity and those are captain keschel's 10 points you can find all of that on his Substack. georgia cities or subsequent counties abandoning voting machines would also be wise to ban electronic poll books and other complex tabulation systems that inhibit transparency in voting and tabulation and by virtue of moving away from black box voting automatically adopt the third of the 10 points voting on paper ballots with enforced voter ID in accordance with the law shown above officials would also be tasked to ensure precinct level voting operations run without a hitch, which would mandate smaller precincts, the sixth of the 10 points, the counting of ballots there and the creation of a timely counting and reporting mechanism. Point nine of 10 at this point, Cities or counties adopting such measures fully or partially adhere to four of the 10 points for free and fair elections and may even be able to enforce laws against ballot harvesting more effectively on their own, bringing the total to five that can be acted upon at that level. Now, this is pretty genius. Okay, so he's talking about what the law already allows cities in Georgia to do which means you don't need the federal fix, you don't need the state fix, you don't need the county fix. You can do this right at the local level, at least in Georgia. This plan to seize control of local elections in Fulton County may catch on like wildfire throughout the country and is instrumental in restoring order to Georgia's elections, which is a critical national task. These plans will certainly be met with brute legal force by Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and his cronies, but will certainly advance the cause of local action and control and highlight the importance of being engaged at every level of government. Ensuring patriots oversee every echelon of government allows for debates like this to occur in the first place and brings us closer to our goals of restoring transparency in elections. And sticking with Georgia for just a few minutes longer, this is from the Georgia Record on Monday, the Republican National Committee has issued a resolution opposing ranked choice voting across the country. In recent weeks, citizens across Georgia have raised concerns about ranked choice voting, which has now been proposed for Georgia under the alias, quote, instant runoff voting. Already one House sponsor has withdrawn support after seeing the backlash caused across Georgia. Experts nationally have spoken out against ranked choice, and in addition, point out the troubling funding sources who are pushing such measures with little digging names like George Soros, Jonathan Soros, George's son, and most recently Sam Bankman fried currently under indictment for alleged fraud and other violations stemming from FTX crypto schemes, become apparent when researching ranked choice voting. Now, the Republican National Committee has issued a resolution opposing ranked choice voting across the country. Informed citizens may contact their House and Senate representatives and remind them of this resolution and ask why ranked choice is even being considered for Georgia elections. And it is interesting to see this from the RNC. Should we thank Ronna Romney McDaniel? Or should we maybe think this might be Donald Trump's hand at work in the RNC? And as just a bit of an aside, You know, there is all the noise from the DeSantis simps and the Trump haters in Conservative Inc. and the GOP elite and establishment about Donald Trump supposedly, allegedly, and maybe even actually supporting Ronna McDaniel in the recent election for RNC chair. We were told by the same people who blame Donald Trump for election losses that Ronna McDaniel was to blame for election losses. Now, I'm not saying she's not. I'm just saying it's the same people. And it's curious that these people always try to tie Donald Trump to whoever he has endorsed for whatever reason he may have endorsed them. They believe it is somehow hypocritical of MAGA to say that we don't like Lindsey Graham or Mitch McConnell or any of these other people. All they ever say is, oh, well, that's that's your guy. That's Trump's guy. That's who Trump said should be the guy. So he has to be responsible for everything that person says and does. Well, that's not true. Trump's endorsements are almost definitely the result of some sort of behind the scenes negotiation where his support is traded or leveraged for the person he's supporting to do certain things. And there are probably a wide number of other narrative manipulations that Trump could be focused on when he's making endorsements. The point is that Trump generally always has a reason for doing what he's doing and whatever support he may have provided for Ronald McDaniel may have been given with the knowledge that things like this would be happening. Ranked choice voting is one of the easiest way to change red states to blue. Or to make sure that America First candidates lose to members of the Rhino establishment, as we just witnessed in Alaska in the midterms. It's a more indirect route to the regime achieving the election results they've decided they must achieve. So let's move to Arizona. This is from Tuesday in the Western Journal. Arizona lawmakers introduce legislation to end use of voting machines with foreign components. A proposed amendment to Arizona's election laws approved by the state Senate Committee on Elections on Monday would require that voting machines be made entirely of components sourced in the United States. Maricopa County, where 60 percent of Arizona's voters live, uses Dominion voting systems, while nearly all the other counties in the state use election systems and software. Both Dominion and ES&S voting equipment includes components from Dell, which sources many of its microchips from China and Taiwan. The Western Journal reached out to Dominion, ES&S and Dell to determine whether components in the voting machines were made in China. Dominion and Dell did not immediately respond. In an email Wednesday, ES&S spokeswoman Katina Granger said, quote, all the SNS tabulation software is developed and compiled exclusively in the United States. All final hardware configuration of the SNS voting machines is performed exclusively in the USA. Some components used in our voting machines are made in countries outside the USA. As the company's website notes, China is one of those countries. The proposed change in election law, backed by Arizona Senate Majority Leader Sonny Borelli and sponsored by Senator Anthony Kern, both Republicans, relies on the constitutional legislature's authority to oversee elections. Therefore, lawmakers argue it does not need Governor Katie Hobbs' signature to become Arizona's voting policy. The resolution states right up front that the U.S. Department of Homeland Security in 2017 designated election infrastructure as, quote unquote, critical infrastructure. In light of this, Republican senators said that Arizona should follow the Department of Defense policy of requiring the supply chain for the machines to be sourced in the United States. And that is one of those things that should seem obvious, shouldn't it? Our Election machines, the voting machines and the tabulation equipment are built with parts from other countries, including communist China. And there's no way that there could be anything wrong with that, right? I mean, we have election experts here to check them out and to verify that everything's okay. But they don't do it, do they? They don't do it according to the law. And still, we pretend that all of the elections are legitimate. To me, this is a national security issue because if we can have foreign actors being involved in the manufacturing or even manipulating the system, the state's elections are not trustworthy, Borelli said during Monday's hearing. The voting machine systems in Arizona contain components that are manufactured and assembled or tested in foreign nations such as China, which pose a direct threat to the United States. Borelli pointed to a 2018 Bloomberg article headlined The Big Hack how China used a tiny chip to infiltrate U.S. companies to show how advanced Beijing is at placing malicious microchips as small as a pencil head in hardware its companies manufacture. That article went into how Amazon Web Services, when doing a contract for the CIA, reportedly discovered the servers it was to provide to the agency through an Oregon-based subcontractor, were compromised with Chinese microchips. Apple also reportedly had a similar problem with malicious microchips in hardware made in China. Both Amazon and Apple denied they had been compromised, but Bloomberg reported that numerous former and current government officials from both the Obama and Trump administrations offered specifics about the investigations. Borelli noted, There have been problems in electronic tabulators in recent elections and vulnerabilities identified by the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency that have not been adequately addressed. And the article goes on. Now, I, of course, posted this on Tuesday and it went around and even people on our side were like, well, that's not going to change anything because that's what black people say to every bit of good news that they ever receive. It's not all the way there. Therefore, it's not worth anything at all. And I'm still mad. Okay, be still mad. It's a anger inducing situation. All right. Being mad is a proper result for a certain amount of time. It might even be part of a normal reaction for the whole time. I'm still mad about 2020, at least in certain ways In other ways, I'm kind of happy that it happened so that we could find out what our country is really like and what our elections are really like and how long they've been stolen from us for so that maybe we can actually fix them instead of just having Republicans in office, because if they're not America first, the little R next to their name doesn't actually mean anything. And they say things like, well, Katie Hobbs is never going to sign that. Well, first of all, Katie Hobbs is illegitimate. But second of all, the Senate resolution doesn't require Katie Hobbs's signature. Here's Wendy Rogers on War Room Tuesday explaining.
0: Uh, Phoenix morning. Uh, we had our Senate Elections Committee meeting yesterday, which we have every Monday, and uh, we passed a Senate concurrent resolution through the committee, which reclaims our plenary power per the United States Constitution to oversee federal elections. We also passed through committee, a Senate bill, uh, which will uh, ostensibly reclaim our power to oversee state elections. Now, the one that's the Senate current resolution is something that the governor has no say in. That is, we, the state legislature, which can claim uh, our plenary power back. Uh, The Senate bill, uh, wherein we would oversee statewide elections, of course, Uh, does need the governor uh, to sign it.
1: So that's the first part. And sorry about the sound issues. That is not on my end. There's nothing I can do about it. But there are a few things going on here. And Katie Hobbs, the quote unquote governor, has no involvement whatsoever in one of the parts. But let's hear a little more. I think what
0: people are most here's what people need to understand. There's you're already in appeals court.
1: You're in an appellate court in Arizona right now fighting over the very legitimacy of 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 Katie Hobbs with Carrie Lake. There's still people that are hugely upset about 2020. How does this walk us through the, the game plan? How does this help to clarify what the issues are in Arizona? Because if Arizona's not for, sorted out by 2024, we're going to have another disaster on our hands. And you and and Sonny Borelli have been the most methodical about this from the beginning, using the system. But walk people through how they can have confidence in the system to correct itself.
0: Well, you bring up very good points. We're doing everything we can to pass uh, various bills through. And uh, I have every faith that the appeals court, if not the appeals court, rather, uh, the state Supreme Court uh, will rule justly. And so yes this is sort of a a parallel rail if you will and i get asked this all the time especially up in my district on various uh rural radio stations senator rogers uh, you represent four other counties other than maricopa county Uh, what hope do you have of getting any of this legislation passed and my answer is twofold number one i was voted in by 27 percentage points to do the very thing that I'm doing, which is represent my constituents and make sure that my voters were not disenfranchised. And number two, you never know uh, everything that will happen in terms of Carrie Lake being instated as governor. And so we have to work in parallel and in real time uh, to put into effect what might happen. It is our charge, it is our obligation as the state legislature to do this irrespective of what else is happening. And also, the state legislature arguably is the strongest of the three branches of government. It was designed that way.
1: So I like what she's saying about these two paths, and that's something that I've been talking about ever since January 2021. We have to walk down two paths all the time. We have to play their game, the Normie game, and try to make progress within the system as it exists in Normieville. And also understand that the system as it exists in Normieville is illegitimate at the same time, which means we need to pursue multiple avenues at once in order to rectify things. She said right there, we don't know what's going to happen with the Kerry Lake case. Carrie Lake may well end up the governor of Arizona still. And in that case the Arizona legislature has already prepared the legislation that Kerry Lake could then sign. So they need to act both within the current status quo and, and to prepare for the potential future that may well be coming. Now, speaking of Kerry Lake and that case, the Arizona Court of Appeals yesterday confirmed the lower court ruling in dismissing Kerry Lake's case. Tracy Beans on Twitter went through the decision and wrote a thread on it. And here is that thread. The appeals court has affirmed the ruling of the lower court in the Carrie Lake case. I don't want to be presumptuous, but Ms. Lake isn't finished. The decision is rife with holes. This decision is why many of us are quickly losing trust in the system. It's lazy. And my opinion is that it's lazy on purpose. Never mind the blatant chain of custody issues. Maricopa said it was okay to veer from procedure because of the number of voters and their word means more than any other witness. It's weighted more by the courts, she's saying. Also, never mind the fact that Maricopa couldn't produce duplicated ballots for inspection after the 19 inch ballot on 20 inch paper ballots that would have proven the supposed, quote, we duplicated all of the drawer three ballot claims, end quote. Lake wasn't able to prove that voters didn't have their proper votes counted because Maricopa County couldn't prove it, but their testimony is weighted more. Also, never mind the fact that Maricopa County didn't perform the proper logic and accuracy testing. That doesn't matter either. The court just ignored it. Also, never mind the complete disregard shown by Maricopa County by not maintaining chain of custody documentation for 275,000 plus ballots. They promise you the forms exist. They just can't provide them to anyone. But again, they have more weight, so they don't have to prove anything. We just have to believe them because they said so. Absolutely never mind the perjury by Stephen Richer, who, by the way, is the Maricopa County recorder on the stand And the fact that Maricopa County and Hobbs were attempting to hide from Arizona voters that they had 19 inch ballots printing on 20 inch paper only in the places they already knew were heavy Republican areas. There were 7000 ballots rejected by the machines every 30 minutes from 6 to 8 p.m. on Election Day. But never mind that, because as per the appellate court, Lake's math isn't good enough. Never mind the evidence presented to the Arizona Senate about the absolutely abysmal signature matching issues. The court pretended Lake was arguing process for verification when she wasn't. She was arguing they did not follow process. The court lazily conflated the two and glossed right on over the affidavits of dozens of employees who blew the whistle on the issues. These were workers. The court decided that, quote unquote, first line workers weren't good enough because there are two other lines to review. Even Maricopa took a giant dump all over their dedicated first-line verification team saying they aren't trained well enough to know. Also, don't even worry about the length of time it would take to actually do the matching properly and the fact that there's no way it was humanly possible it could have been done properly because these judges just want to move right along. And we covered that when covering the initial court filing by Kerry Lake and one of the other filings as well. I believe that was Sonny Borelli's finding. And they showed that they had an AI based signature verification model where the hired signature verifiers would have to approve or disapprove of what the computer told them was the right answer. And they were doing this at a rate to have actually accomplished this entire task and had human review over the signature verification, there's no way that could have possibly happened in the time that they said it happened in, like a genuine physical impossibility. There's no way they could have possibly done it in the allotted time. I have every intention of doing a side-by-side of the actual facts versus the absolutely lazy opinion of this court who frankly rejected this appeal because they are scared and don't want to deal with the fallout. It will escalate and escalate again. And thank goodness we have a fighter in Kerry Lake to keep it going. Next stop is the Arizona Supreme Court. She writes, I am known for calling BS when I see it. I have absolutely decimated wildly popular suits in the past because they wouldn't hold up in court. I haven't been wrong on that yet. But this suit has evidence it has merit and the courts seem to want challengers to dance around some fake and weak version of latches when exactly would be the right time to file a suit about an election judges when I hope Carrie Lake runs for president. That's how I'm ending this short thread. They have stolen our vote and she stands as the last viable person with a chance to fix it. Now, she may stand as the last viable person with a chance to fix it in terms of the 2022 midterms. But as much as I love Carrie Lake, I do not think she should be running for president in 2024. And I'm not exactly sure why Tracy Beans is claiming that she should, particularly a few weeks after she joined the chorus of people calling for Donald Trump to say the thing they want him to say about the vaccines. Now, I don't know where she's coming from on all of this, and I don't believe that she has bad intentions. But I will say this. If you think that someone other than Donald Trump should be the nominee in 2024 and you know that the election in 2020 was stolen in some way, at some point, you are basically accepting the stolen election and now complicit in the instance where that election is not rectified and the people involved are not brought to justice and justice is not done until Trump is restored. He won that election. He is the duly elected president and he must be restored. Any other option by choice makes you complicit with the election fraud. You cannot just simply accept the usurpation of the American presidency and just move on arguing political expediency. Oh, this person can get elected and Donald Trump can't. Well, first of all, Donald Trump has already proven that he can get elected. And there are more people on his side understanding his claims than there ever were in the past. It doesn't make any sense for the DeSantis simps and whoever else to be pretending that Ron DeSantis is more electable and that that is somehow a reason for DeSantis to be the guy. There is only one the guy. That's Donald Trump. Anything else is an acceptance of the 2020 election outcome, and that cannot be done that is literally handing the game to the enemy. And as for DeSantis himself, there seems to be a new person joining the chorus of DeSantis simps online, and it's none other than George Soros. He said, my hope for 2024, Trump and Governor DeSantis of Florida will slug it out for the Republican nomination. Trump has turned into a pitiful figure, continually mourning his loss in 2020." Big Republican donors are abandoning him in droves. DeSantis is shrewd, ruthless and ambitious. He is likely to be a Republican candidate. Now, that's not exactly an endorsement from George Soros, but it is the same narrative being spun by Con Inc. and the DeSantis simps. Donald Trump is toast and the big, powerful Ron DeSantis is going to step in there. Well, George Soros would love that and the DeSantis simps would love it. But Ron DeSantis hasn't given any indication yet that he is going to run. If he does, good for him. He'll get destroyed. But hopefully he doesn't. Hopefully he remains loyal to Donald Trump and maybe he's the guy in twenty twenty eight. Maybe Kerry Lake's the guy in twenty twenty eight. We don't know about those things yet, and there's no point in talking about them. The twenty twenty four election is a year and nine months away. There are so many things that can happen over that time. Think about the difference between right now and a year and nine months ago, early 2021, when all we could hear about was vaccine mandates and the very violent insurrection. Things do change. And it's important to remember that Donald Trump is not going anywhere, no matter how much the DeSantis simps or George Soros want him to. And so people will continue their claims that the 2020 election was legitimate and that all of us are crazy and we are telling the big lie and we are domestic terrorists. But none of that at all changes the underlying reality, which is there's no way Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes and there's not a person on the planet that can prove he did. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'm your You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon. Out on the range.